Welcome. I'm Melissa Durda, and this is Synergo's Cultivate the Soul podcast. Stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practices, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view our full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Howard Fisher. I am co-founder and chief evangelist at Gratitude Railroad. I cultivate my soul through meditation and mountain biking. Today we are joined by Howard Fisher, co-founder and chief evangelist of Gratitude Railroad. Howard Fisher is co-founder and chief evangelist of Gratitude Railroad, whose aim is to transform traditional capitalism into a force for solving critical environmental and social problems. He is also the founder and CEO of Basso Capital Management. Howard serves on a number of boards, including 1% for the Planet, the Carbon Underground, and advises Bright Edge, the investment fund of the American Cancer Society. Howard's full bio is available on our podcast website. So Howard, welcome to the podcast. We're so thrilled to have you here. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, and I'm honored to be part of your, uh, your learnings. Thank you. Well, I'd like to get us started by asking you to tell us a memory or a story from your life that was instrumental in shaping your views on what matters. You know, I saw those questions. That's a really hard question. A memory from my life? I don't really have any memories. I think we may have talked about this in the past. My life really began in 2013 when I had an opportunity to go back to school and participate in an amazing program at Harvard called the Advanced Leadership Initiative. It was following a period of loss and confusion that was a result of the financial crisis in 2008. And I entered a learning journey that continues to this day. And that's really what's changed me more than anything else. And it brought me to the place that we're sitting here today. Wonderful. So how did it change you? What was instrumental in that time for you? Well, there are a lot of ways I tell the story. One simple way is I recently made a presentation in front of a group of business school graduates, which was titled From Gordon Gecko to the Dalai Lama. Another way to be you know, very open, when I went to Harvard in 2013, you could definitely call me a center-right Republican being very open. I did not vote for Obama either time. The second time I did vote for Jill Stein, that's a different story. But now I've gone from a position where I used to argue with my wife as a center-right Republican about the ideas of compensation for service people, teachers, firemen. And I explained that if you want to get rich, you just had to go into the world of finance to where now I'm probably to the left of my wife. Mm. Tell us more about that. So, And tell us, how did this change for you with your program at Harvard? I think it was just learning and growing. You know, the fact that when you think about what well, we think, well, I'll share with you, financial crisis happens in 2008. I had this huge growing hedge fund business, was making a significant amount of money, and I was pursuing all the things that could come with that, whether that's fancy cars, private jets, expensive hotels, custom clothing, and Lehman fails. And effectively, not immediately, but a lot of it immediately, I lost half my net worth. I had a hedge fund business that was $3 billion in size that shrunk to $300 million in size. I had 75 employees with an office in Hong Kong, London, and Connecticut. Right after that, you know, we closed the Hong Kong office. There's one person in the London office. We fire 50 people. 
I thought the world was ending, and I began this journey of one trying to save my business, but trying to understand what my place was in the world and what was more meaningful to me. And then I had this opportunity to go to this program, which intimidated me. The first day I showed up this program, I looked around the room at everybody in the room, and they're all the kinds of people that probably show up at Synergos events and GPC. I thought they were all richer, smarter, and better looking than me. But I jumped in with two feet and two hands and all my energy. 24 hours later, I didn't want to leave. I took courses in the Divinity School in Buddhist Scripture. I took courses in the Graduate School Design in Environmental Design. I took an ethics course in the Law School. And I just learned and I grew and I got to see a whole different world. And I began to see that there were much more important things than simply the accumulation of wealth. And today, my reading, my thinking, the people I spend time with, it's just so different than it was. People who know me from before, and there are very few people that I spend time with that were in my life before 2013, don't recognize me. I don't recognize me. Sometimes I sit down, like I said to you, that I'm to the left of my wife now. I want to put her under a bus. We're having a discussion about bail reform and donating money for people who are being released on bail and the balance between the social injustice that most of that represents and the clear evidentiary increase in crime that we do see from some people who are released on bail. So there's a dynamic there that I'm sure I would have been on far on the other side of 10 years ago. So it sounds like this experience was a significant shift for you. And coming out of this, you co-founded Gratitude Railroad. Is that correct? That is correct. The goal of the program I didn't say it's the Advanced Leadership Initiative. Stanford has a similar program called the Distinguished Careers Institute. Is to develop a project to dedicate the rest of your life to. My co-founder, Eric Jacobson, who's become one of my closest friends in life, began to think about his money, his wealth, and learned about this thing called impact investing, which on one hand was nascent in 2013. On the other hand, there were many great practitioners that we weren't aware of. So when we began to talk about it together, we had a couple of major themes and theses and discoveries that we used. One was that capitalism was the solution to most of the issues that we are worried about, social justice issues, broadly speaking, health, education, health and wellness, diversity, as well as the environment. What we felt, you may not have heard me say this before, but others on the Synergos team have heard me say this, and I'm happy to debate that with other people listening to this podcast, and I think there are reasons for my different perspective or our different perspective. We believe that in many ways the philanthropic model does not serve the issues, that it's broken, that it's unsustainable, and that there's a lot of complications. And you know, whenever you're an organization, you raise money, all you do is want to raise money again, and the solutions are complicated by the demands of the not-for-profit world, whether that's being responsive to grantors or the complications of how you discern what the goals are and how they're met. So we felt that that was an issue and not being, you know, of let's call it capital P philanthropist level of wealth, we felt that that was inefficient and that capitalism could provide those solutions. Importantly too, while government can be a great partner, we felt the government was incredibly inept, bureaucratic, if not corrupt as well, so that we couldn't do that. And as lifelong, Eric founded and sold three fintech companies then went into private equity. I've been in the hedge fund business since 1984. We felt that the financial services system that we knew really well could provide those solutions. What we also felt at the time was that what we witnessed on a, let's call it an initial superficial way in the impact world, there are a lot of well-meaning people 
who didn't necessarily have Wall Street experience. There was a lot of meeting going and discussing and hand-wringing and paper writing, but nobody was moving capital. So one of the important core things to Gratitude Railroad is we want you to write a check. And we're gathering people. Eric is fortunate enough to be able to write checks. I'm fortunate enough to write, let's call them risk checks in, in sophisticated investments. And that we would lead with our own capital and then build a community of people like us, hopefully more diverse than Eric and I. Eric looks a lot like me. But people like us who could write checks, make decisions, and move capital understand the risks, and importantly, in a lot of ways, similar to our experience at the Advanced Leadership Initiative, get involved. It's not like we want you to write a check. We're happy if you want to just write a check and go home and go back to whatever you do. We'd love you to be engaged, to help us with the diligence process, to help us identify companies, to advise, connect, mentor, or even have a seat on the board of the companies in which we invest. Well, let me just chime in here with a few reflections. You know, Synergos and its Global Philanthropist Circle has been around for over 20 years. And what we've seen is there are all models that are needed to kind of shift what's needed to tackle these complex challenges in the world. So just to give you some examples, we have some of our members who are philanthropists, but they're also impact and social investors. So they look at how to leverage all that's available to them in this work that they're doing. We also work to, as Synergos, a bit more broadly, we have an approach called Bridging Leadership, where we actively bring together different sectors like government, like business, like civil society, to create environments for them to work together. So yeah, from our perspective, you know, it's not only philanthropy, it's really a mix for many of our members. And we do believe impact investing is an important part of what's needed to make large-scale change in the world. So anyway, I want to support, you know, what you're doing with Gratitude Railroad, and I'd love to hear more about, you know, some of these projects. So you make a pretty bold statement. So you say on your website, we believe that capitalism is is the solution to most of mankind's problems. What are some of the problems that you have seen can be effectively addressed with impact investing? Sure. And essentially, I just want to reflect a little bit back on your statement, and, and I totally respect it. And understand it as I've gotten to this stage in my growth post, let's call it 2013, I've begun to think about it a little bit more deeply. And maybe one thing I'm recognizing is that there are certain entities or people who have a broader access and convening power that might have a very different experience than the community that Eric and I have developed, which is why we may have a point of view that's differing. So back to your question. One way I look at it, I often use a, a saying or two that I developed for a given year to help direct the conversations I have with people who are learning about our work. One of the statements I'm using in 2022 is something called climate to the people. We all on this call, I assume, are very deeply aware of the problems of climate change. The question is, how do we resolve it? The recent Inflation Reduction Act, wonderful. That's really important. And if we could have carbon pricing in an active, real way, wonderful. But importantly, too, how do we change our lives in an everyday manner? How can we focus our eating, our shopping, our living in ways that will have a positive impact on the environment? One area that sort of, you know, in an interesting way, we've done three investments in is composting. Our first investment in composting was simply a municipal composting company called Atlas Organics. Just some smart people in in the South who were beginning to develop a way of collecting food waste 
turning into compost, providing a service to municipalities, reducing their cost of operations for handling their waste, as well as developing a product that they can sell into the marketplace that serves as a soil amendment that doesn't hurt the planet, unlike the sort of chemical fertilizers. We were in that company for three years. They actually were bought by a very large project finance company in the impact space, and we tripled our money, which is a very good outcome. The second composting company we invested in, I like to talk about a lot because it's generally memorable to people, and that's called Recompose. Recompose is a company that provides what they call natural organic reduction after somebody passes. So if you choose to utilize Recompose the services, and I'm signed up, hopefully not to be availed of not for many, many years, but you send them their body wherever the facility is. It's becoming legal in more and more states. And after 29 days, they've turned your body into a cubic yard of topsoil or soil amendments, which you can choose to take home or not. And as you imagine, and I understand there are sort of the yuck issues about talking about being dead, and there are spiritual issues about whether it's cremation is your practice or burial is your practice. But from a pure environmental point of view, cremation is putting carbon into the air. It's just direct pollution. Again, there's a beautiful spiritual aspect to it. I get that, but that's negative. And when you think about a cemetery, well, some cemeteries can be beautiful. And I had long wanted to be buried in my own property at my weekend home in Vermont, which is, you know, a much more limited use of land. But cemetery, we need open space, right? We need to increase biodiversity. We need to increase the places where we can grow food. And most cemeteries are antithetical to that. So this product provides that opportunity for people. And the third company we invested in the composting space is the newest one. It's called Wasted. Wasted is addressing the issue of human waste in porta-potties. Most porta-potties combine the liquids and the solids in a single bin. That, first of all, creates ammonia, which adds to the unpleasantness that we experience most of the time that we use a public porta-potty. So they've developed a system. It's not rocket science, not the only ones that own it, that separates the liquids from the solids. When you separate the liquids from the solids, you can process the liquids into a nitrogen fertilizer that can be used by farmers, again, to replace the chemical fertilizers they tend to use. And the solids can be composted into a soil amendment. When you combine them, the waste product is a messy, smelly slurry that the owners of the porta potty companies have to ship to a sewage facility for processing, and they're no longer usable in a positive format. So that's one way I look at it. In each case, climate to the people, right? After you die, you can do something positive for the environment. Instead of throwing your food in the garbage and letting it go to landfill, it can go into something useful. Or when you use a porta potty, you can see that, and part of the mission of waste is when you use their porta potty, they'll make it clear to you, to the user, that you're doing something positive for the environment. I think the more we make people in their everyday lives aware that they can do something positive for the environment without compromising anything, it helps them think more positively about environmental change in action. So those are really interesting examples. How are you finding when people join your community or come to you and want to learn more about impact investing? Are there certain issue areas that they care deeply about and they are looking to understand what's available to them in those areas? Or is it more from an investment standpoint? What is your experience with people that you engage with? That's an interesting question. I would say that most of the people are interested in the broader concept of positive impact investing. But at the same time, most of us have an area that is more resonant and more important. For me, while I have, there's a way for me to invest 
in a simple way with everything that Gratitude Railroad does. My private investing is focused on the environment. We have people who are focused on education. There are people who are focused on gender issues. There are people focused on health and wellness. And we've invested in all those sectors. So it just depends on each individual person's activities. But most people come to the community, have on a relative basis a significant amount of wealth, and therefore you can't invest 100% of your money in, well, maybe you can invest 100% of in the environment, but really need diversity of opportunities. And there are so many wonderful founders and companies that we invest in that they often motivate people to actively get engaged, even if it's not their core interest area. Yeah, thank you. That helps to understand that a bit better. Is there a particular project? I mean, you've just listed some really excellent examples, but is there a particular project that's inspired you with the change that you've seen maybe in the shorter term beyond financial and social returns? I get very enthusiastic and I fall in love often with the founder who is vibrant and engaged and passionate. And that's a key aspect for me. One, to decide to invest. So is there another company that, I'm not sure, maybe I don't understand the question. Is there another company that you want to hear about? Yeah, maybe another type of example that you find particularly inspiring that might also attract people who are saying, maybe I want to get into impact investing. Here's one. Again, here's a really interesting one. There's a company called Uptrust which is focused, and it's interesting because we started earlier talking about bail. Uptrust created an app that's used by public defenders, by parole officers, and by people who are quote-unquote in the system. They're not in prison, but they're either out on bail or they're in the parole system. And oftentimes, much like bail, can trip up people and ruin their lives in an unintended tremendously impactful way if you're in the system and need to show up in court or you need to do this and do that and you forget whatever that means then you end up back in jail it's costly to the government it's disruptive to the person's life disruptive to the family so uptrust app which is being used i think in 30 different states now is a way for people from their phones to be held more accountable. It allows the parole officer to track them and talk to them. It allows the people in the bail system to support them, as well as keeping that person on task. So it's a, it's a wonderful product that seems to me has a high likelihood of being very profitable because that's what apps do, not that it's going to go viral like some of the other things we rely on, but that's the kind of thing where we can use a for-profit common idea to keep people in a better place in their lives. And the stories that have been told from people who have benefited from that app are very interesting. There's another company sort of in a similar space that we've invested in called Pigeonly. Now, I wasn't aware of this, but apparently it's very expensive and very cumbersome and inefficient to communicate with family members who are incarcerated. And Pigeonly, which was founded by a formerly incarcerated person, helps create better ways, more cost-efficient ways for families to communicate and for the incarcerated to communicate. So again, there are so many levels to this, right? We're helping these families, and we've got a founder who happens to be a formerly incarcerated black male. So we're serving a community that needs a way of growing, right? Formerly incarcerated people find it hard to get jobs. So here's a job creation system as well as serving that community. So that's a whole other aspect of our work. That's great. No, this helps for us to understand what are the different kinds of projects that can be supported by this work. 
Right. So again, that's the idea is there's plenty of not-for-profit opportunities to help the incarcerated community, but there's a pride and opportunity and an empowerment by allowing it to be not through charitable aspects, but through being part of, let's call it everyday normal society. So that's another thing that we would do that addresses that issue. We just closed on our largest investment ever, a company called Ocelero, which has been involved in the Head Start space for 25 years. This was a partnership between our private equity fund, the Gratitude Railroad Community, Walton Family Education Fund, and conventional investors in BlackRock. It's a very large company. It was a retirement, and there was a need to begin to create some liquidity for some of the earlier investors. And this company is also growing beyond just simply its own Head Start business, providing software and programming that allows other entities in the Head Start business or the Head Start services to grow and be more stable. So a lot more conventional, a lot less risky, a lot bigger funding, but also a way that investments will help people do much better. So you originally started this in 2013. How have you seen the industry evolve since you first started? That's an important question. That's maybe probably one of the reasons that we're talking. I think there's a whole controversy over ESG, but ESG is on everybody's lips now. Everybody's thinking about it and talking about it. I do believe a lot of it is inauthentic and grounded more in marketing and compliance and that you've got people out there speaking of good game, but not really in a meaningful fashion. I think that for me, what's really interesting and resonant It's what's happened over the last couple of years since the pandemic began. Those of us, again, the most, I am going to assume most of us listening to this call, have health care, have adequate housing, have access to a place to live. And as the pandemic hit, while we were nervous about it, we really didn't think that we would have trouble managing whatever would happen. But we began to recognize the injustices of our healthcare system and the quote-unquote frontline workers who had to go out into the world every day to allow us the wonderful life that we had from the delivery people to the emergency workers to the doctors and everybody else doing that. And that began to raise an awareness of a material difference in our privilege versus that in the rest of the world. Then we all witnessed George Floyd getting murdered. We suffered from whatever anguish we suffered from under the Trump administration. We are now living in a more climate-impacted world than ever before, whether you're living in California or you're living in Pakistan, for example, or you just watch the news, the day-to-day devastation of climate change is that much more apparent. At the same time, save, let's call it the last three, four months, our equity portfolios and the public markets soared, our private equity portfolios soared, our homes went up greatly in value. We got a lot richer passively to some extent as a consequence of all the things that the pandemic brought into our lives. And some people began to say, well, that's really not fair, right? We're sitting here healthy and serviced with plenty of money. What can we do about it? And I think you've seen it everywhere. And I suspect that the GPC also grew as a result of people recognizing the benefits that those of us with privilege and wealth had. And so Gratitude Railroad has significantly increased its community and the amount of capital that we're moving within our community over this time period. And the interest continues to grow. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very encouraging to hear. 
What would you say the shifts have been during that time period in terms of the impact investing space, in terms of the companies to invest in? Maybe there's more of them. I think that what's one consequence, despite what I may feel about some of the less authentic, larger entities, the capital that these companies need when they get to a certain size is much more readily available, right? The multi-billion dollar funds, the project funds, green bonds, there's that much more capital when a company gets to size. The question becomes, how does a company maintain its mission, purpose, and passion as it grows, right? You see something like what, what Yvonne Chouinard did with his wealth and his company last week in terms of putting the company in a purpose trust to serve the environment first and foremost, foregoing a significant amount of personal wealth for him and his family. That's one thing. But as these companies grow, at some point, they need to be public. They need to be large companies with access to the markets to create liquidity. Importantly, to some extent, democratize impact investing from what the few of us can do to what the whole world can do. So I think that's an interesting dynamic that we're still dealing with. There's certainly a hangover from some of the excesses of the pandemic market, certainly the companies that went public through special purpose acquisition corporations have suffered, whether it's market beta or poor planning or greed or whatever. Some of these companies are really good companies and they need to find a way to overcome the negative wave of pressure that resulted from the way they went public and or again, just the negative beta of the entire tech marketplace. So what would you say is the future of all this work that you're doing? What are your hopes for the future? You know, that's, it's sort of like you opened up with a question is what triggered me to be this person from my past? And honestly, I don't think I could really come up with something, nor do I think that's important. A lot of smart people ask me, what do you hope? What's Gratitude Rail going to be in five years? I don't know. I know that I'm having a tremendous amount of fun. I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm developing, I'm making new friends. Maybe ideally, I guess two things. One, Gratitude Railroad goes out of business because we don't need to teach people and encourage people to invest this way. Or one of the things I believe in deeply, and we've touched upon it, is we need authentic, born-for-impact entities to funnel this capital into authentic, born-for-impact companies or funds. And maybe Gratitude Railroad will replace BlackRock or Blackstone or Goldman. Highly, highly, highly unlikely. It's not really my ambition. I can't imagine how we get there. But this journey I'm, I'm on step by step, the meetings I have today and just this call, that makes me happy. I'm doing what I can and where it goes, I don't know. And it's really not important to me. So how can people learn more about Gratitude Railroad? How can they find you? Well, obviously, the easiest thing is to go to our website. You can certainly share my email address with anybody who is interested. One of the ways we grow our community is we have events. And to be clear, with respect to the GP, the G and GPC, our work is entirely in the U.S. Our community is, I would say, entirely in the U.S. And we have convenings. We have meetings two days in New York City, the 28th and 29th of September, 2022. I don't know when you're going to air this. It's probably over. We have an annual Impact Investors Retreat this year, November 6th to 9th at the Sundance Resort in Utah. And we have meetings. We've been this year, we've been to Boston, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and we'll continue to do that. So people are welcome. We also have monthly virtual calls to talk about topic areas or presentations or ideas. 
And anybody who cares enough to be a member of your network, they're welcome to anything that we do. We have a number of email lists and we could anybody who's interested, we can put on an email list and see if it resonates. And then once you get involved, there's sort of three main ways to be engaged with us. One is just to be, well, let's call it four main ways. The simplest way is just be a friend, stay on a mailing list, admire from afar, come to event, don't come to event, maybe invest every once in a while, maybe not. We love you all. I just want people to listen. That's great. The highest, let's call it most active level is a group of people we call Gratitude Railroad Partners. There's a membership fee. There's an expectation of active engagement in meetings and diligence and conversations and a commitment to invest $250,000 a year in Gratitude Railroad Ventures. It's not a legal commitment. It's an intentional commitment. Some do it. Some do far more. Some don't. But if you're committed, that's great. We do for people who don't want to engage more directly or the commitment of a partner is too much or they don't have the time. We have a fund that every time the core group invests on an active basis, this fund is a go-along fund. That fund only requires a minimum commitment of $100,000. That takes no less than two years to use up. So it's a very simple way to engage. If, and this takes a little bit more engagement, if you really fall in love with our work and you want to really be involved, we have a group of people who have invested in the Equity of Gratitude Railroad who serve as advisors. We've eliminated our board in, in a way of trying to evolve our ownership and leadership structure to be a bit more open and democratic. So we have a group of advisory committees which have a voice in governance and policy setting and structuring. And if you are an investor in the equity, we anticipate that you'll join one of these advisory committees. It's an advisory committee for DEIJ and for the infrastructure of impact investing. There's a committee for our pipeline. There's a committee for our events. So we just want people to be involved, but people who are involved are also equity investors in the entity. So those are sort of the four main ways to be involved with us. Wonderful. Well, sounds like there's a diverse set of opportunities to engage. Howard, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for sharing the work that you do with our community and beyond, and wish you the best of luck with all of this. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And listen, I am respectful of all the work that you do and everybody that I've met from the internal team at Synergos and GPC and the people I've met as I've explored the organization who were members. It's a wonderful group of people. And, uh, and I hope you keep doing all the work that you keep doing and that if there's any way that I or the Gratitude Network can be of assistance formally, informally, let's keep moving the world together in a better place. Thank you. What I liked about this conversation with Howard is how passionate he is about ways impact investing and conscious capitalism can address large-scale social problems. 